I'm driving over the train tracks, and which is like a couple blocks from his house. And I look down the train tracks and I see a figure with a blue hoodie walking away. And they had to have been like five, 600 feet down the train tracks. And then all of a sudden something hits me. And I have like this almost like, I don't know if you'd call it an epiphany, but I'm just like, whatever they're saying is correct. He's gone. And then right as I turn that corner, it's just a line of cars, right? Like tons of fucking cars. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Today's episode, I'm joined with a great man, a talented videographer and great marketer, Jeff Langerville, who's from Boston, Massachusetts. He hones in on the story of a good friend of his who happened to commit suicide many years ago, and he pairs this story with his own when Jeff himself thought that he wanted to take his own life as well. We had a really deep and a really exciting conversation that I'm looking forward to share, and I would include in this intro that Jeff talks about a near-death experience he had, but I definitely rained on his parade concluding that, well, it probably wasn't, but I'll let you guys decide. Jeff, how are you, man? Good, man. Just chilling. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, man. Of course. This might be the last time. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I know we briefly spoke uh, leading up to this. Right. I didn't really ask too many questions, as you know, and that's kind of on purpose. So I I come in fresh. Uh, Why are you here? Who are you? And what are you doing in my house? Uh, (laughs) uh, My name's Jeff. I'd like to believe that I'm, I'm close friends with you. And that you allowed me to come here. Well, that was a very literal answer. That was, was <laughs> there's supposed to be a segue to you talking about <laughs> why we're here. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Dead talks. Yeah, I yeah, got yeah. it. Oh, okay. This, yeah, this is a podcast. No, 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 there's a lot, man. You know what's funny? I wanted to be on this for, I don't even know, like, what, how long have you had this for? How long have you been doing this for? Dude, we pretty much launched it on COVID. So I was like, almost, we're pushing two years, but a year and a half. That's wild. Yeah, like ever since you came out with the concept, I was fascinated with it. And I was like, oh, I'd love to be on the show. And you never asked me. So I, I forced myself to be on this. But ever since then, I've been wanting to talk about it, man. Because, I mean, the unique stories that you've, with the people that you've interviewed, it's been almost like I've seen it. It's been almost therapeutic to some of these people. And for me, I, that was my main concern about it. But I'm actually excited to come in here and tell my story of uh, my experiences with death and and the various different types of it of experiences that I've had. So, you know, I've, I've talked it in passing to bars of people and stuff like that, but I've never actually been in a setting where it's this, you know, where I'm with a, a person I'm comfortable with to sit and actually talk about some of the things. Cause when I look back at it now, I'm like, wow, man, some of the shit was like pretty traumatizing. Yeah. I think, I think that that generally seems to be, you know, I, I want to say a, a repeating pattern, right? A repeating pattern is redundant, isn't it? Uh, yes. A repeating pattern, just a pattern <laughs> that, you know, how, how often do people say, okay, let's sit here at five o'clock today and let's talk about death. Like that yeah, doesn't, right. so it, it usually is a conversation in passing or a conversation that comes up amongst people that know each other and check in on someone who's mourning or whatever. Uh, but when right. you said the variations of death, you have specific topics of your experiences, obviously. So what, what do you right. mean by variations? A couple different things. So obviously, uh, the experiencing of, you know, death in a whole, like obviously like the people around you, Another one would be a near-death experience that I had, and then also, you know, the topic of suicide, right? So, which I've I've seen actually both sides of that. So, me wanting to be suicidal versus like losing people that were close to me that were, you know, suicidal. So, those three topics to kind of go on, and and I, like how they kind of connect, how I see those things, and kind of interpret those different aspects of death. Yeah, that's the interesting side of the coin. Of you know, I've had people on here talk about suicide more of a. Uh 
obviously get reflective on their own experience, but talk about suicide based on losing someone, but no one's boldly said that you've been on the side of the coin of actually considering it? Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. So, I mean, man, I'm going to jump right into that one. Yeah. Start wherever you're comfortable. So, I'll, I think I'll get to that one later because I think that the other ones kind of trickle into it. So, like, for me, when it comes to death, I think the first death that I ever had was from uh, was my grandfather. I was pretty young. I was probably about 10 years old. And then I, uh, it was going through the middle of the divorce of my parents. I had no idea what was going on. You know, I was, I was raised in a, uh, a Protestant family. So, you know, my mother was very strict. You know, you need to go to church and stuff like that. So when he died, it was unexpected. I knew that he had health, had health problems. They had talked about it, but it was very quick. And it was almost like, I don't know if I was really explained the process of it. So it didn't really register correctly. The only thing that I knew is I was just like extremely sad about it. You know, and I, I went to 10 years old. It brought me to the funeral, which, you know, in hindsight, like, I guess like there's a, a place and a time for that. I probably wouldn't, if I personally had a child that was 10 years old, maybe I wouldn't bring him to a funeral. Maybe I think that might be a little bit too early to explain, like to, hey, here you go, kid. This is what death is. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, everybody's different. So yeah. As we look at children's books about death on the table, right. Patrice Carson, our last episode said the exact opposite. She says sooner the better. Oh, really? Yeah. I think, I mean, I think I should have gotten an explanation. Do you know what I mean? It was, there, there really wasn't an explanation. I just remember being really sad and then boom, like I'm at the funeral, you know, and I'm seeing him in the coffin. And um, it was weird. It was so weird because like shortly after that, I started getting, um, uh, I remember vividly, started getting a sleep paralysis. Shortly after the funeral? Yeah. So it was like maybe like a couple of days after, maybe a week into it. And it was so weird. Like, there's going to be some stuff that I explain in like in our talks that just I don't know whether it's like a figment of my imagination or stuff like that. So um, with my grandfather, it was wild. I I literally was like after the like the next week, there was one time that I woke up in my bed and it was freezing, and I felt like something was like you know watching me. And uh, you know, as a child, I don't know. I like I, I just don't get it. It's so like kind of foggy, but I remember having the courage to look up out of bed and seeing a, a weird silhouette outside my window, just staring at me. Now, I don't know if it was like some sort of like town predator or something, <laughs> or if it was like, actually, you know, it might've been my grandfather or something like that, but it was terrifying. So that was like my first experience, you know, with death. Kind of fast forwarding from 10, like getting into middle school and then high school, Here's the biggest thing, like the town that I grew up in. Now we're going to flash forward to like, you know, my other, the other segment of uh, experiences of death that I've had. And that's, uh, you know, our town was, you know, in the nineties, it was nice. It was like laid back, very like Pleasantville kind of shit, at least in my eyes as a child growing up into a young teenager. And then it kind of just went to shit with uh, an epidemic of drugs, like hardcore drugs. Like, uh, like we're talking like Percocet. Oxycontin, you know, stuff like that. And that kind of, you know, that, that's like when I was growing up, like when I, st I first started drinking and smoking weed when I was like 13, 14 years old. This is in Boston? Yeah, yeah, in the South Shore. And like there's, you know, back home, there was, there really isn't like a ton of duty here in comparison to like what I know of, uh, of, of California, right? But being there, it wasn't a lot to do. So you just partied and stuff like that. And I saw a lot of people that I went to high school with just go down that slope. You know what I mean? Because like we were just getting you know fucked up every night, and and you know we were kids. We didn't understand. We were just experimenting with the stuff, and uh, 
it got to the point where like I had a lot of friends that were into that stuff and they were, you know, I never touched it. I never touched anything synthetic. And, um, you know, I had a lot of friends that got into that stuff and a lot of acquaintances and, and kids I went to school with that got into that slope of, of perk 10s and then 20s worked their way up to 30s and then that doesn't do it for them anymore. And then they're, you know, they get to the Oxycontin and then eventually it was, it was like heroin and stuff like that. And so there was a lot of overdoses and a lot of like ruined lives that I saw through that. You know what I mean? There was a lot of funerals that I ended up going to in my hometown periodically. And, th- and there was one point where I was just like, that was just at the forefront of my mind, like always thinking and and guys can contest back home. They're like, we'd be sitting there one month and be like, wonder who's going to fucking kick the bucket now. You know what I mean? Because it was just happening so frequently. At one point, it wasn't consecutive through a whole year, but at one point, like I remember like maybe like a 90 day part of my life where it was like one or two a month, you know, and it was fucking- One or two a month? Yeah, it was kind of wild, man. I know a couple of very close friends and then I would show up in support of my friends that they had friends that died. You know what I mean? Just to be there because I was so engulfed in that kind of culture. But uh, weirdest part about it, dude, the funeral home that like most of those funerals happened at, it was in my hometown. It's uh, Blanchard's Funeral Home. It's an all red building. And the address is uh, 666 Plymouth Street. Oh, Christ. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> and why would they not Wild, change that? That's like no idea. Stuff. No idea why. I, it's it, it it blew my fucking mind. It was a joke because of how ludicrous it was. It was like out of a fucking book. Yeah. Even like 666A would have been a little bit better. The, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it was like red, you know, and you go in there and it like, it was just, I don't know, to me, it, like it's a very familiar smell kind of deal. But like alongside of that, and then like friends, family members that, you know, just had like, you know, health problems and stuff like that. I've just been around it my entire life. And I kind of like, I think it was a mix of never being like fully explained versus like the flow of it through the next, those coming years that I really became almost desensitized a little bit of it. And I don't know if that was a trigger for me, like avoiding it or I, I fully understood it because I think that at a very young age, I, I accepted it. Do you know what I mean? Like the fear of death never really bothered me. It was more of like the things in life that kind of stressed me out versus like, dude, if I get hit by a bus, I'm like, that's it. Like there's nothing that can happen to me. When you say accepting it, what, accept that the like inevitability of it? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. There was a, dude, it was wild. Now that I think about it, it was like 11 or 12, like after my grandfather died, that's that spurt in between that and like starting the party and all that shit happening. That like, yeah, there were some times that I was like up at night, just like for hours, like almost in tears and uh, like terrified, just like this close to the wall, just thinking about that, that my life was going to end inevitably. Oh, so, okay. So that was the first moment you've had of understanding that death happened, death in general, or that death is inevitable. I think it was like, I think it was the concept of like that I, I was, I had this, I was unconsciously like humbled by life. And that, like, I never wanted it to end. And that the the unknowing of what happens afterwards was terrifying to the point where, like, I don't want to lose this, whatever this was, even though my life started to fall apart at that point in various places. But, like, I want to hold on to this thing, life, for as long as I can. And then going through, like, the waves of, like, you know, seeing close people die and then seeing friends of close people die, like, over and over and over again. I got, like, the, I don't know, this chip on my shoulder, maybe kind of underdog mentality that was like, I don't fucking give a shit anymore. You know what I mean? Like if I get, if I get hit by a bus, you know, 
you know, chalk it. You know what I mean? Or if somebody, if somebody like, if I get in a wrong position or, or something happens and I get shot or I get stabbed or something like that, dude, it's done. Like, I, I think, I really strongly think, and I felt like that for years now, if I'm at, if I realize that like I'm at that door, I think I'm more than content with that. But again, I mean, like, that's just me thinking those things. Let's see what happens in the scenario of when that happens. Do you know what I mean? Well, I feel that way. Hopefully, I mean, all, all of us as humans have that goal to get to that point where, like, you know, you die of age, you know what I mean? And you experience anything and you have that full life of minimal regret, I guess, and the goal of minimal regret and be like, you know, I experienced everything. I'm like, I'm ready to fucking go. Yeah. I, then you got the difference of, I mean, all the, all the ways that you just explained of dying were all quick. So then, right. there's, there's the coin. I, I, oh the, yeah, like the excruciating stuff. Are you talking well, about? Well, I mean, that now you're, you're really getting morbid. I mean, you, you, just, <laughs> you just know you're dying, maybe not be in pain, but right. Regardless, I then there's a difference of okay, will I accept it? But you don't have the right. time to accept it. So then there's the question of after I die, is there a moment of contemplation still, or you know what I mean? Because like that right. just happens, and like that's a whole nother angle of a conversation right 100 because i've heard I, the, was it a was it a podcast i don't know if it was someone i was speaking to here or a woman i spoke to she had a little bit of medium in her and i don't know if that's the way right way to say it, if you have a little bit of that in you and, she, <laughs> and like my dad apparently came through and what she was explaining whether you believe it or not that there was like a six-month period of him being angry so according to her oh, my okay. dad was on the other is is on the other side unless he's been hiding from me for 20 years. And it was like angry and didn't accept of his death because it was so sudden. Um, right. So then it's like, if that's the case, then it's like, I guess that's when your answers will, will occur. It's like, right. okay, if, if there is contemplation on the other side, you know, that's, that's where it starts getting a little heavy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. I, I don't get know that where now. I was no, going that, with that. No, no. I mean, no, that, I, that, that opens my perspective to that. Never really thought of it that way. It's weird. It is weird. But then, then the other side of the coin is if you know you're going to die, then you really have to accept it while alive. So I don't know. What the fuck, what's better? Like, do you want to contemplate right. and it? Then, I mean, then you go in that survival mode. Like, depend, obviously, like, I know that there's going to be some sense of fear. I understand that. But it's like mental preparation of that. Like, unless it's instant, right? Or unless it's like extremely painful, then like you're talking about your nerves and shocks and all that other stuff going into play. Well, that's why I think this conversation too. is so important because this like the conversation of death is a somewhat of a preparation for it. Not that you should be morbidly thinking about oh I'm gonna die, but it's just like right. like you said, you were younger and you kind of accepted it until it happens. Who the hell knows? Well, you know what I think is that those days that like I was like losing my mind as like why? a child I, because I just it, it's it's a hard once you kind of realize what that it means. It's kind of hard to like soak that in. Oh yeah, so you're specific. I'm talking about like nobody's explaining this shit. So you're me. specifically losing your mind about death, not like life shit. Just like you're talking specifically, death was throwing you in a spiral. Right, okay, and I was wow. just like, specific dude, at what a young the age. fuck? Like, yes. what is what's happening? Like, I don't this that I can't accept it mentally, maybe like subconsciously or something. And it was just like terrifying to think of life ending. And that, like, not knowing what to expect afterwards. Yeah, I don't remember that. Besides, like, learning that Santa Claus isn't real, like, what is that introduction? How do you explain to a kid? I guess these fucking books that she was writing. I want to. I'm very intrigued. I probably, I probably want to read one. I'll read it to you after the episode. That's sick. Can I lay down and you can like sit over me. <laughs> I'll, I'll, pet, I'll pet your head. Take a fucking but, nap. But if she does. She, this, these books that I'm speaking of, the Invisible String, that kind of it talks about loss, not just death, but kind of explains it in a very whimsical way of you know. That we're gone, but we're not gone. But this book also speaks specifically on kind of a specific belief set because that's like the controversy of it. 
you know, some people might believe that you die and then right. there's nothing and then you're just right. dead and you don't know the difference. And there's all these different beliefs of what happens. So that specifically, I guess, is a little belief oriented. Right. But she she explains it by an invisible string and does it in a very lighter tone. I, and I guess that's a good way of introducing it to kids. So that was the part of the terrifying thing too, was that even though I had uh, was raised re- like to have believe in religion, is that that was the other thing too, was I think that the terrifying aspect of it was, you know, nobody was like talking to me into doubting my own religion and beliefs. But when I thought about the concept of death, for whatever reason, it was like, that's what it was. It was like almost what like an atheist would explain, you know what I mean? Which is like, there's nothing. You're, there's nothing. It's pitch black, no sound, nothing. You're just non-existent. That concept, I think, also helped sunk in to really like bring out the anxiety of that. How'd you come up with that? Did someone tell you about that? How'd, you, just, you just fantasized about it. It, it was just fantasized. It so, was, so you're going through this by yourself? You didn't really... Yeah, dude. Oh, my God. A, a time for another podcast, dude. I, I, I love my parents so much. My dad did as much as he could for me during the whole scenario. But like, I pretty much raised myself from like, you know, from once that divorce happened on. So it was like, dude, no curfew, no nothing. I just did whatever the fuck I wanted. So I think I came out pretty fucking yeah, you know, half decent. Oh like, yeah, more than that. Like, full decent. But, like I, but the thing is, yeah, no. So nobody really explained to me that stuff, dude. Like, Or at least I don't, unless, at least it was so much in passing. I don't remember a fucking single thing from anybody telling me shit. But yeah, like that, you know, those were my, my first experience with death. And then like going through my adolescent teenage years of like just being surrounded by it, which like, you know, you don't, Death is inevitable uh, in in anybody's life, right? Like the experiences that you share, like you're always going to have that. Unless you have like literally you are out in the woods by yourself and you don't talk to anybody. What does that mean? What do you mean? Like no matter what, you're always going to, there's always going to be something about it, right? There's like somebody, oh, Aunt Susan died. Your friend's, you know, cousin something died. Like there's, there's always something if it doesn't directly happen to you. I don't think anybody should really, any child that young should endure that much death. And I wasn't the only one. Like, my friends dealt with that, too. You know what I mean? Like, they were right there beside me. But no, yeah, when I was, you know, around that age, I think it was 13, just turned 13. There was, again, there was a lot of stuff going with the divorce. I was I was talked into by a lawyer to run away. What? Yeah. The so lawyer advised you to run away? Uh, yeah, I had a lawyer uh, appointed to me, and he had told me to run away. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Wild shit. Are you right? sure he was a lawyer? Yeah, hundred percent. He wasn't the town predator that was spooking <laughs> no, at you at night. <laughs> no, he was a lawyer, dude. So at that time, when like they were going, through, I wanted to live with my father, and my mother was like, you know, like the court system always favors for the most part, you know, females during the during mm-hmm. uh, women during the divorce. So she was feeding them stuff, or or whatever the case was, and it was to the point where like I wanted to live with my dad, and DSS is child services isn't going to listen to a kid. Do you know what I mean? Like they, or that's what I was told at least. So I was appointed a lawyer and uh, a brief time. And they said like, the only way that you'll get DSS, DSS's attention is to run away and then just consecutively run away. And so I was like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a juvenile. I can't get arrested. You know what I mean? I get PC'd. I can't get arrested for shit. So, and I was like a fucking punk. So I was like, this is a fucking game. Like you're telling me to run from the cops. Do you know what I mean? So I was doing that. A lot. I would like run out. I lived in a stairwell of a church for a brief time. 
And then like, I would just not show face. And the only people would be out at night would be cops in my mom's van just driving around. I'm sorry. So right. let me, let me caption this. The, right. the, the benefit to you for running away was so you don't go to your mother's custody. Is that what it is? Right. Okay. Got it. Um, and they just, just what, was, what it was, was the end game? So that was it. It was just, DSS would see this and he'd be like, yo, this kid is clearly unhappy. He doesn't want to live mm. with his mother. Like, Let's try out the dad. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. So that was happening where I'd like lay low and then I'd pop out. I would just show up. Like I'd be gone for like four days and I would just show up and get arrested. And and they would put me in, uh, in custody, bring me back to my house. My mom would yell at me. I'd run in, grab clothes. I would dump clothes out of the backpack, put new in, jump out the window, do it all over again. It's kind of like catch me if you can a little bit. Uh, not if, well, only you're not fortune checks. Yes. <laughs> it's just, it's just, okay. So one time, this is my near death experience. Is at one time I get arrested. I'm getting PC'd, and then my mother. Uh, they picked up my mom. I don't remember why, but they picked her up for some reason. She was in the passenger seat of the car, and we're driving around down South Ave around this bend of a elementary school and a gas station, and the local drug dealer was like like the dude that was selling like, you know, perks and OCs and heroin and shit. He had two girls in his Mustang and he was fucking high as shit. And he came barreling around that corner and he came out so bad that he tail end, he just came out of control of his car and he sideswiped, T-boned the police car. Are you kidding me? No, I was, was, in, he the, in, was he in cahoots with the lawyer? So get this, guy, <laughs> the fuck out, get this guy out of the cop car. He was in the, dude, I was in the back seat, right? Back seat, no seat belt, plastic seat. You know, if you've ever been in the back of a cruiser. And dude, he slams into us. We go up onto the curb. We blow out uh, the the two tires on the right hand side. I smash my head on the window and then on the cage of the car because there's no fucking seatbelt. I'm just sliding everywhere. And then the cop gets control of the car. Um, we almost slam into a stone wall. And then he gets back on and he comes back into the street and slams on the brakes. The guy that hit us spun out of control. Girl broke her leg. Another girl broke her neck or her arm. And they were like a foot away from hitting the gas station. And this was like seven or eight at night, I think. It wasn't even that late. At, like during like a fall night or something. And um, when that hit, like I just, it, like, I had a, like a flash. It wasn't like my life before my eyes, so to say. Because like I was young. So I don't, I don't know what it was. It was just almost like a white light. And I don't know if it was because of the way that I hit something. Um, or, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it might've hit my temple or something like that. Or it caused some weird reaction. But I remember like almost after I hit it, it was almost like a stun grenade where it's like you hear that. And it's obviously because of what's happening. But everything was just super slow in that whole thing. So like, I remember that so vividly. Like, I remember like, my mom like screaming and like the jolting of her. I remember like the cop like turning the wheels and getting control. Like I remember everything in like deep, like complete detail of it. So it was weird because on the way there, I wasn't paying attention at all. So it was almost like, you know, when you see like an action sequence in a movie where like they get hit and it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, like that. Scene. And obviously that was closest to me. Like I would say closest to me dying. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because I had no safety protection in the back. And, uh, you know, how old, I, how old are you? Uh, I was like, I was, I think I was 13 years old. And then, um, you know, they brought me, they put me on the stretcher. They brought me to the hospital and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I went, I, you know, I played that out and got like a week off of school from it. Played it. So what did you take from the sun grenade? What did you like? 
I don't know. I just can't explain it. I don't think that it was, I don't think it was part of the injury because I didn't have any serious injury. Like I didn't suffer from a concussion. I had like a little bit of a welt on my head, but I didn't suffer from any concussion. There was no fractures. There was no nothing going on that would like cause serious injury. But it was almost like when it happened, the impact happened so quickly that I wasn't really scared if that if that makes any sense. I don't know anything really about near-death experiences. I don't think I've really talked to anybody enough about that have witnessed or experienced them. But I'm curious because you probably talked to somebody, right? Yeah, I had had an episode specifically on that. Were they ever like in fear or were they like completely calm during that? Well, I can't really compare. Okay, so this is different because not to like timber down what you just told me. Right. She was apparently like, like I'm talking like she like flatlined and, oh, like, she and was then like, like came back. Like, oh, she, that, shit. like I think that is what is like, she at least had a quote unquote near death experience right, where she right, like right. was gone. Right. And then they came back and was like, how the fuck, I don't know how you just, and you just came back. That's wild. So yeah, you, I, I don't know. I don't know what the hell happened. You might just banged your head. And yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe if yeah. I didn't know if that classifies as one or not, because I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm sure there's no rules to, well, let me ask you a question. Was she did when she came back too from the near death experience? Was she hysterical? Was she like losing her mind, or did she come back not know what was going on? I think it was a little bit of both. I'd have to I'd have to check back with that episode. But all I do remember is that she had a heavy experience where her brother passed, like before this happened. Right. And she met her. She saw. She spoke to her brother. So this is like as heavy That's as it gets. Wild. She dude. spoke to her brother, and I want to paraphrase it pretty much like he like sent her back kind of thing, right? right. There was some kind of dialogue there right. where she spoke to her brother who passed, and then as soon as that conversation ended, she got jolted back. That's wild. And I feel like a heavy car accident. Like she was not in the back of a cruiser, but she right. went like I don't know how fast into like a tree. That story is crazy, man. That that story, like, there's some shit I that not, I had not listened to that already. No, no, that that one's that one's pretty heavy because that changed the whole course of her life. Right. But that was always my understanding of a, a near death experience where, like, I think you literally flatline and yeah. like you're essentially recorded dead on on at the scene. Right. And then somehow you come back. I guess I don't know if she was um, what's that? Clear. What is that? Uh, defibrillator. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I don't know right. if it was that. I'd have to double check. Yeah, I mean that Trump said what I just don't bring said. up Trump. We're not talking about politics. That's, I, that's not what I meant. <laughs> that, that has a meaning to it. That yeah, I don't yeah. Know. No, I mean uh, the uh, the only way the only reason why I said that is because like that's how I feel. Like that was my closest interaction, I guess, to almost dying. Do you know what I mean? I think that's it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I think okay. So you're taking. I think you're talking about a near death experience, literal. Yeah. Even though a near-death experience is literal because you nearly die, but I think you're taking it as like, oh, I almost died. It's like, oh, a bullet. Well, oh, that going. person died. Like she technically, yeah, she died. quote unquote died, right, and nearly died, right. Okay, so near-death experience, but right, you had something that you. I don't mean to segue, but yeah, yeah, of no, course. I do mean to segue. I'm seg- I'm, I'm, seg- I'm segueing. Go for it. What did you? Where does it come in in regards to your friend? You said there was someone, a friend of yours, that committed suicide. And also you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there? yeah, I'll, we'll get to that right now. So, um, fast forward, uh, you know, many years. Uh, we're talking about, you know, when when I was like 21 years old. When I was 21 years old, I had a very, very close friend of mine, uh, Jason Kasha. He's, his, his nickname was Benny. Everybody used to call him Benny. Loved him. He was a great dude, aspiring guy. Growing up, you know, he used to hang out with us all the time, party all the time. But he, he had his head straight. Like, he was... 
going to, he was going to college to be an accountant. He was extremely smart. Um, he got excellent grades and he just like stayed out of trouble for the most part. He got into trouble, but I guess he never get caught. You know what I mean? One yeah, that's not guys. getting in trouble. Yeah. And he was just a, he was just a super nice guy. The first time I ever met him, I was stranded on the side of the road in the next town over uh, and it was pouring rain. And he just pulled up in his Bronco, uh, uh, not in his, uh, in his Bronco, in his Blazer. Uh, and he was like, hey, man, do you need a ride? And like, that's how I met him. So what happened was this, is that I uh, was supposed to hang out with him one night. And we were trying to get a hold of each other. And But in between the two, the two towns we were both from, I was from Whitman, he was from Hanson, there was bad reception, cell phone reception. And um, we kept trying to play phone tag. We were just trying to call each other and like, hey, where are you at? Where are you at? And like, we just kept losing the calls or whatever. And I was trying to get a hold of him. And I, I ended up not like being able to get a hold of him. What happened was is that, you know, he was out, part like we were both out partying. I ended up going home, but he ended up, you know, drinking too much, like getting a, a little rowdy and um, ended up crashing his car. So he crashed his car. And I don't know any about this, anything about this until the next day. So I get a phone call from the Pembroke Police Department and they're like, hey, we'll let you know that we have your buddy uh, Jason here. We have him in, in custody. Um, and he has requested you to like come pick him up. I'm like, okay. So I get to the police station and I'm like, I start hearing like what's happening that he like got in a car accident and that he took off. So he took off on foot and I was like, you know, drunk driving and he crashed into something. Like I get it. Like you might have this impulsiveness to like leave the scene, right? You don't want to get caught or, or you're scared. Right. Cause like, you know, that's some serious shit. Your future's on the line. But I didn't expect him to be that kind of person, but he did. So regardless. So anyways, um, I go to pick him up and I'm like, you know, he's probably like all bummed out and stuff. I got a, I got a pipe for him for Christmas, uh, a glass pipe for, for uh, weed. And I was like, oh, I'll give it to him early and stuff like that. That'll make him feel better. So then I go to pick him up and I'm talking to the cop and he's like, yeah, so like, so this is what happened. Yeah, he crashed the car, blah, blah. And then I'm like, anything else? Like everything good? And they're like, no, yeah, yeah, no, he's like, other than that, he was very polite. He said, you know, uh, you know, he's very nice. He apologized multiple times, all that other stuff. He, there, he was in the drunk tank. And then I was like, okay. So then I, like, he starts walking out. I'm like, hey, what's up, Benny? What's good? And he says nothing to me. He just, like, has his head down. And uh, he was holding his neck like he was injured. And I was just so confused by it. And, uh, like, I asked him again. I'm like, you sure he's okay? I'm like, yeah, he's fine. I mean, he could be banged up from the accident. But, like, he checked out. And I'm like, okay. So then, like, I, I'm walking back to the car, and I'm like, hey, what's up, man? Like, what's what's going on? How are you? How are you feeling? Nothing. And then I get into the car, and I'm like, is everything okay? You like, is your neck okay? And he's like, my neck is killing me. I'm like, okay. And I was like, hey, man, I got, I got you this. So I gave him the pipe, and I was like, here you go, dude. You know what I mean? He's like, thanks, man, because he loved weed, and it was awesome. So I drive him back to his house. Uh, I lay him down on the couch. I put on the, the recap of the Pats game on ESPN, and I give him— um, I give him a bag of ice and pillows and stuff like that. And he was just like really worried, but he didn't really talk much. But he, what he did mention is he was worried about, you know, what was going to happen. And I said, dude, like everything's good. I'm not working tomorrow. I already called it in. Like I'm going to, I'll bring you to court. Like we'll take care of everything. Cause he had court literally the next day. And I was like, we'll take care of everything. No worries, dude. I got you. He's like, thanks, man. Thanks a lot. So then I leave and then I'm waiting for him to call me. Like, cause I didn't have to get up cause I took the day off and court wasn't until like, I don't know, like nine or 10. Usually I get up super early and I wake up at like eight 
o'clock, 8.30, uh, and then 9 o'clock. And I, I get, my phone is fucking exploding with phone calls and text messages. And everybody's like, hey, did you hear about Benny? What's up with Benny? Where is Benny? And I'm like, ignoring it. You know what I mean? For a second, because like I was, you know, tired. I answered some people, but I was super tired. I was like, oh, I got to bring this kid to court. I barely slept, whatever. And then I'm getting more phone calls and more texts of like, hey, like, where is he? Like, is he okay? Like, people are saying that he's dead. And I'm like, he's not dead. Like, I picked him up from the fucking police station last night. So I'm thinking in my head that, you know, somebody's talking and saying that like he, he died from the car accident. Do you know what I mean? So I'm getting aggravated. And then I have my very close friend, uh, Ricky Stuck, who know, who's also very close friends with Benny, call me. And he's fucking hysterical. And he's like, Benny's dead, Benny's dead. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And he lived uh, like three blocks away from me. So I was like, fuck this. And I got up and I, I got my car and I went to, to Ricky's house. I went to his driveway. I walk in and he's like hysterical. And I'm like, dude, we, like, we have to go. Like, we have to go to his house right now. And, like, it was almost like, I mean, he wanted to go, but it was almost like I was kind of pulling him a little bit. Because I, at that point, like, I was super confused. I don't think he wanted to face the music of, like, what happened. Um, because Ricky was saying that he had killed himself. And so I'm like, there's no fucking way. Because I know Benny. Do you know what I mean? And, the, and take it for what it is. I've never experienced anything like that. Suicidal. Yeah. Because, and obviously I'll explain this afterwards. It's abrupt. There's usually never a sign that when it happens. So I get in the car, race into his fucking house, right? And on the way to his, to his house, again, this is another thing where, you know, it's, I don't know if it's my figment of my imagination. I'm a religious person. I am. I have faith. But I don't know what I saw. I'm driving over the train tracks, and which is like a couple blocks from his house. And I look down the train tracks and I see a figure with a blue hoodie walking away. And they had to have been like five, 600 feet down the train tracks. And then all of a sudden something hits me. And I have like this almost like, I don't know if you'd call it an epiphany, but I'm just like, whatever they're saying is correct. He's gone. And then right as I turn that corner, it's just a line of cars, right? Like tons of fucking cars. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck? And it's like friends of friends, friends, family, everybody there. It's fucking packed. And I'm like, yo, what in the fuck is like going on? And so apparently he had woken up, he had did laundry for all of his family in the house, um, and then he had chopped some wood in the backyard, and then he had just walked to the tracks and just waited for the train. And he just sat on the train tracks and let the train take him. So it was like the most wildest, you know, kind of what the fuck moment, because you don't think somebody's you never think like if you look at the mental health of somebody, you don't look at them and be like, yeah, some bad shit happened to him. But like to that extent, you know what I mean? That you that you'd walk down to the street and just wait for a train to run you over like wild shit. Come to find out, like obviously that was it was a, a kick in the teeth. Whew. Yeah, it was wild. It was a kick in the teeth. And it was a lot of like, what the fuck? And uh a lot, a ton of crying and um, just had to stay like as strong as possible. I felt like I had to stay as strong as possible for my friends. You know what I mean? Because everybody was just like in tears. What is, I mean, what do you even, what do you, what do you make of that? I don't, I don't, I Especially have, at that moment, com- that's just complete shock, I guess. Yeah. Right? It was like, for me, it was, a, I was fucking destroyed by it. 
and I did cry, but I was also, again, I was like complete, I, I wasn't desensitized, but I was in shock where I was just like, I don't, be, I almost don't believe this. Do you know what I mean? And the, and leading, when you drove to Benny's house and you saw that dude on the tracks, yeah, you said you did have a, that moment of realization you had was in real time. It wasn't after the fact. Like in that no, moment, like you, you I, right when I crossed the tracks, there was just like, it was almost like going through an invisible wall. And like, right when I got over it, I was like, something happened. You know what I mean? Like, How was that? I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't. So he, the biggest thing is, is this, is that I don't know if that was obviously if that was him or not. Right. That's the big question. Yeah, I make it easy to just be is a that dude him? that's just walking out, of course. But. Right. But then, but then if somebody killed themselves on the train tracks, wouldn't nobody be allowed on the train tracks? Like, you're not just going to be like, oh yeah, dude died like six, seven hours ago. Cleanup crew came and then somebody could just walk down the train tracks again. I don't fucking believe that. At the very least, it's definitely bizarre and coincidental. Super. So then I find out, we start like, you know, the family's like, what the fuck? Like, where the, why? Do you know what I mean? And they start putting the pieces together. And then the cops start fucking telling us what they didn't tell me. So, dude, when he was in the drunk tank, he was trying to hurt himself. So they had handcuffed him to a pole and he was smashing his head off the wall. And he was trying to stick his fingers in the, the socket outlet. Like he was trying to hurt himself in there. And they didn't disclose anything. They said he was polite. They said, well, he, he had sobered up and apologized for his actions. But they never told us that he was trying to hurt himself the entire time in there. Dude, it blew out. There was like a lawsuit. There was tons of shit going on. It was in the papers and everything else. And the fucking police ended up winning that case. It was fucking unreal. But it was like, dude, like all those puzzle pieces made sense when he came out and his neck was hurting and stuff like that. And he wasn't really talking. Like, but the thing, the shittiest part about that is that like, if I was given that information, first off, if he was th trying to threaten his own life, he should have been on suicide watch. Like right off the bat, they should have took him out of, of, of the police station, brought him to a hospital and put him on a, a 20, well, depending on the evaluation, 24, 48, 72 hour suicide watch, right? Yeah, I'm not trying to cop out the cops, but I'm sure where they think he was just drunk and blah, blah, blah. Exactly. hundred percent. And then because that's what happened, he sobered up, he was apologetic. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But to him, he was like, everything that he was striving to do, he thought, and, and he used to, he, at that point he was delivering pizzas. So like his main moneymaker was his car and everything else. Like, so he, I don't, I don't know. I can't make any other assumptions under what I think might've been going through his brain that like it was a letdown, you know what I mean? To everybody around him, to himself and stuff like that. And that he thought that his life was over. So I, mean, I feel like with suicide, especially it's hard to ever forget, like sometimes there's clo like some sense of closure or some kind of reason for it, which I don't even know if finding a reason is closure, but to this, to this day, there was still never, never any solid idea besides what you're saying right now as to why. So, and and I don't know if I agree with you so much on that point because there's still there's still people that I know that have that have taken their own lives, and I'm st I still and even him, Benny, pure example. I still don't know to this day. But the 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 thing that really pissed me off the most is that if I had known what was happening, I wouldn't have left his side. Were you the last one to see him? I uh, I think his brother was. I was the last friend to see him. But I think one of his family members was the last person to see him. But I brought him there at night, and then I woke up in the morning. He was gone, so it was it was pretty pretty devastating. Well, fuck. Well, I mean, what does that what does that do to you in regards to? I mean, I'm not trying to assume how you feel, but I feel like I feel like it's an easy entry to feel guilt in some way. 
Not that you did, but you maybe you don't. You shouldn't. No, I know. You literally, yeah. you literally shouldn't. I feel like you know that. No, there was there was a, a sense of guilt. It wasn't. I didn't have it all on me. Uh, like I understood that that it was out of my control. It's it's almost like you know I sh- shoulda coulda woulda. You know what I mean? Sense. I don't take the guilt of like I wish I saw the signs because I didn't. There was there were no signs. You know it was it was almost. Perfect. The scenario was almost perfect to the point where I I would have never have known. Do you know what I mean? If he didn't get in a car accident and something else happened and he came out with his neck, holding his neck, then yeah, I might've had some questions. Do you know what I mean? But all of those things was kind of a perfect formula that I didn't think anything of it. And then I was just being a supportive friend and I was like, hey, Lynn, hey, listen, we'll get through this together. I'm going to bring you to court tomorrow. We're good. Do you know what I mean? So I don't look at it like that because I don't ha- I didn't have control over what he was thinking. I tried to get something out of him. He didn't want to talk to me. And I get it, man. Like, you got in a car accident. Like, I was in a car accident. I didn't really want to talk to anybody after that. Like, I get it, you know? But it was uh, it was wild, man. And it was it was really, uh, it still to this day has, like, resonated with me when people talk about it. That's, like, I always reflect on that. And there was just so many different aspects to it that, like, me being one of the last people that saw him, how he did it, the lack of information, you know what I mean? Like the thing that I, the, what I saw on the train tracks, there was so many things. And I, and it was so, it was so weird. Cause I used to talk to him all the time from one time when things get tough for me, I, I have conversations with him, but man, for years I would talk to him and I would go down, there was a pond right next to the train tracks and I would go sit there and drink every single day for years. I would like before a show or what after you, work. What, what are you? I mean, what are you talking to him about? What do you? Why were you talking to him? I would just be just tell him that I miss him and stuff like that. And then it kind of turned into uh, more of like someone at like almost a thera- therapeutic session. Like if I'm going through shit, I would talk to him, so to say. I'd, I'd be sitting there along alongside the train tracks, looking at the pond, like he's like right next to me. You know what I mean? Is there any similarities to the suicidal thoughts you were talking about? Um, was that before? No, this was before. So this meaning this, the thoughts were no ben, Benny ha, uh, Benny's uh, incident. Yeah, the only reason I'm asking that is because a you said it earlier, but also you said you were talking to him. Just obviously to have maybe have a conversation with him, but also if you were going through stuff and now you're saying it did happen after. So I don't know right what the segue is there if there is one. What got me into like getting to that point of being wanting to be suicidal is I was, uh, it was a mix of tr- unresolved trauma because I never took care of it. And it was the excessive, you know, alcoholism because I was an entertainer for some, uh, uh, for a frontman for a band for seven or eight years. And I used to drink a lot. Just for a pure example, I had a, f- I would run a couple hundred dollars, you know, three, four, sometimes $500 tabs at this bar weekly. And then, I would go, I would, I would do that. Like after work, I'd go have drinks there and then I would go to my show and I'd play for three or four hours. And then, and then at that point, like I'd either drink more or the tab would be free. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, just keep them coming. Do you know why you started drinking so much? Is it a lifestyle or did were you run uh, or something? No, I was just, uh, I was uh, self-destructive, man. Like I, so the, it just, there was certain parts of my life that was like, Everything was just very, like, sad and miserable at that point. Do you know what I mean? Like, look at what, what like, everything I just talked about, like going through like the you know the divorce of my parents, and then um, like again being surrounded by like a ton of death, losing somebody. 
I felt like I was doing a lot of times where I was helping people out with conversations with them and their problems, uh, and either whether I would listen or I would, you know, give some, uh, be empathetic and find some advice for them and guidance. And I did that for almost everybody that I've been close to, but I never felt that I got it back. So uh, you can see the expression on my face if I'm upset. You know what I mean? If I'm pissed off, not only do you hear it, you see it from a mile away and you're like, dude, what's wrong? I, that's never changed and nobody ever fucking said anything to me. It was so fucking ridiculous. I would go into bars with headphones in and a live band playing. What? That everybody knew where I, who I was. And I would sit in the corner and be like two beers, you know, uh, crown and Coke, two shots right now. And keep them coming. Just keep feeding them to What, me. you just felt depressed? I was super I was super, but I was extroverted. So I had to go out. So like, I would like go to places where, because I live in small towns, everybody knows me. So I'd go in like places and I would be like, leave me the fuck alone. To somebody that I'm like close to. That's like the most extroverted, depressive person. They it, think it was, you can do headphones in a bar. And then- it was wild, dude. And people would just, nobody fucking asked. No you one know noticed I mean? that was weird? Um, some, well, no, I'm going to say the, weird, but no, well, a, a, a well, sign of like, what the like, fuck? Because I would express anger. So if they like that didn't happen too many times. But if you saw that and you came up to me and I said I told you to fuck off, some people would be like, all right, dude. Yeah. And they just leave me the fuck alone. Like they take me so literally, leave me the fuck alone. Nobody would push me to be like, hey, are you okay? So I just thought that nobody gave a fuck. And I I, I just started telling myself that all the time, every single day. But is that what drove you there? The idea that people didn't give a fuck? Uh yeah, for the most part. And then there was uh there was a couple other things that I'll get to in a second. So on top of all of that, say I'd go play a show Friday, Saturday night. And dude, like I was having a blast, bro. Like we were playing shows and selling and the place would be packed. Do you know what I mean? Like, and people like, yo man, that was great. And I I was a very fun entertainer. It looked like I was having a blast, but I was just dying on the fucking inside. And I would get done. It'd be like one, two in the morning. And I would be coming off the ether of the adrenaline of playing a show that I couldn't sleep, that I would just go, and there's like newspaper articles too of this. Like uh, there's a police log that I would walk after that. I would walk around town at night until like three, four in the morning. And I would just listen to music. And that obviously if I'm in that zone of like being depressed, I'm only adding to it. Do you know what I mean? Of listening to certain things like that. And I would be by myself. And like the town is completely dead. Nobody's out except for cops. So you're, I'm just by myself. I'm like skating through the center of town in the middle of the street, nothing, just listening to music. And I would do that for two reasons. One, because I just wanted to like be in my own head. And then the other thing was to, uh, to if I would find uh, spent needles, heroin needles, like syringes. So I would call the police and be like, hey, I found a needle in the corner of this street and this street, come pick it up. Because I didn't want like, like kids to stumble upon them or something like that. You know what I mean? Like you fucking, I remember when I was like, you know, five or six years old, like riding my bike down the fucking street and shit, like no supervision. Imagine like, that was the only thing that I thought. It's like, dude, imagine if like a kid fucking stumbles upon shit like this. That's how much I like hate, like was into that, that I would, that was my, what I thought my purpose was to go do that. Like, oh, I have to go do that. But really I was just like basking in this like kind of depression, fueling the fire over and over and over and over again. During that time, obviously, I went through, like, breakups with uh, certain women, which then, like, looking back at it, I didn't have a great relationship with my mother 
So you know what I mean? Like a, a lot of that stuff kind of stems back to that. Like that was the other thing too. It was like a mix of like, you know, I didn't, I didn't think anybody cared versus like, I didn't think anybody lo- like could love me. Do you know what I mean? So I just kept telling myself those things over and over again. And it just started building up and building up and building up. My grandmother was getting old uh, to the point where she had uh, developed Alzheimer's, right? And that shit is fucking wild, bro. That shit's, I, I don't know if like, it's hot. I think it's like almost a little bit more wild than, uh, or not more wild, but on the same par as like mentally fucked is, uh, you know, the experience with death I had when I was like the, the kid thinking of death and like the shock of like suicide itself. Because the concept of like an understanding the Alzheimer's is like, you know, this person's forgetting who they are and everything around them. So it was like that classic scenario of like, not coming from a lot of money. She had it, she was admitted to a nursing home. They're fucking shoving pills in her. Do you know what I mean? And like, it got to the point where like me and my sister showed up and she thought we were married. And I was like, dude, I'm your grandson. Were you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, was your, I was your grandson. You know, this is your, your granddaughter. You know, we're here. And then like five minutes later, I'd be like, who are you people? What are you doing in my room? Yeah, so crazy. it was like, fuck, dude. And it got to the point where on her birthday, I brought a cake. With my mom, I was trying to feed her it. And like she, I was like holding her her mouth and like putting water in it to like activate the stimulant of like, oh, I need to swallow shit like that. And she ended up dying from that. And so I was just like, fuck. And at that point, dude, I left a house that was like, it was me and five other guys, three stories tall, tons of drinking. Do you know what I mean? On top of playing shows. Like that's what it was. It was a fucking shit show. I left that house and went to my grandmother's house. Uh, after she had died because I was going to like help fix it up and stuff for them to sell, put on the market. I got there and I, since the divorce, I haven't been there for years, dude. So like everything's the same. It's wild. Like everything smells the same, like toys. I used to play with all that shit. So I stayed there and that's where shit started getting like really fucking crazy. I had a couple of guys stay with me. I rented the rooms out too. And, uh, you know, I continue to do shows and drink and stuff like that. But before I had rented out the place, I was hearing shit at the, like the house. It was a super old house. I don't know how old it was. It had to be like late 1800s or something, but it was a super fucking old house. So I started here. I was by myself, dude, in my own head, thinking I'm hearing shit. You know what I mean? To the point where I'm like opening the door and just being mad. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I would hear something. So I would like, and I, nothing could explain it. Hearing what? What do you mean? I don't know. I I thought I was hearing footsteps. I thought I was hearing like some other voices at some point. It was stuff like that. But I didn't, I think, again, I think that was a, it might've been a figment of my imagination because I was literally going crazy because I was going, I was by myself. So it got to the point where I thought that like something was there and that out of desperation of like, maybe I should just check this off the list. I would walk out poke my head out of the hallway and I would be like, fucking shut up. Um, yeah. So I was like literally yelling at shit. Like I could have been yelling at nothing. Do you know what I mean? And I'm sure certain people have been there. It sounds like kind of fucking me being crazy now that I say it out loud. But yeah, I was like yelling at shit. I was like, shut up, shut the fuck up. And then like, I just go to bed or whatever. Dude, alcohol is a bitch. Like are I was- you drunk when this is happening or are you thinking- Sometimes, sometimes not. Like it was, sometimes I just wake up in the middle of the night with sleep paralysis. And then I would just think that something's in the house. I'd go out and I'd fucking yell at it and then Could go have to been. sleep. Could have, yeah, probably. You should never know. Never know. This is where it gets crazy. So 
I was losing my mind. One of the biggest things was like Kendrick Lamar. What's the name of the song? Drink. Dude, at my lowest of low, like drinking straight out the bottle every night, that kind of shit. I would listen to that shit on repeat. That was one of those songs that was just like, you're like a piece of shit kind of song. Do you know what I mean? Like, because they're talking about filling a swimming pool full of liquor. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, I would like envision that. You know what I mean? I'd have those kind of things in my head being like, because, and because I was just so fucking depressed, manically depressed. So one night I had, was listening to that and then I listened to Ready to Die, Biggie Smalls. You're just reinforcing yourself with all this. 100%. I dove directly into that negative energy. Uh, what was the last song on it? I, I, I'm so stupid, I don't remember. I've avoided that listening to that song ever since. Suicidal thoughts? Suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, obviously, yeah. So I put that on. And yeah. I would, and the first, the first real music I ever listened to was like Wu Tang and B.I.G. It was introduced by my sister from that shit. So I, that's not, it wasn't uncommon for me to listen to that at a very young age when it first came out, like on cassette and shit. So like, dude, I was playing that stuff and I was just so relating to this concept of like, nobody gives a fuck. I don't want to be here anymore. And so, you know, at that point, in my life, I had the access to a pistol, a firearm uh, that obviously was licensed to me. Uh, I had told a lot of people that when the depression first started sinking in, I told a lot of people that I'd gotten rid of it. Well, I had two. I did, buy, I did sell one, but I had another one that I literally told nobody about. And I had that on me. And I just sat there listening to those songs over and over again by myself in my house. And I just had it like, like literally like right on the table just ready to do it. And there were points where uh, I had a gun and I, 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 like, I made a mockery of it. And it's so stupid. When I was younger, there was a girl that I used to date and I had that pistol. Of course it wasn't loaded, but I would just do certain things with it. You know what I mean? I, was, I, I think all of this really comes back from the trauma of my childhood and building all that up. Because a normal person wouldn't fucking do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I just had the gun loaded sitting there and I was just like, you know, at, at that point I was, it was almost like, I was like, it wasn't like I didn't want to do it, but I was also like, okay, let's put it like almost put a, a mental timer on this to be like mental timer. Yeah. Like I put it on there. I'm understanding the concept of everything. I want to do it, but then I also am a, a little hesitant to it. So let me give myself a little bit more time to think about it. And that was like, for me, in my head, that was thinking like a couple of days. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is a big decision. Do I want to do this? Do you know what I mean? Like, it shouldn't be sporadic. Like, now that I've gotten to like that kind of level. And what got you out of it? I was so fucking drunk that I ended up like, uh, I cried my, I basically cried myself to sleep. And so the next morning, what I did was I took the firearm, I brought it downstairs into the basement, and I hid it like under a bunch of shit. Like nobody was ever going to find that. And then I woke up super late, super hungover. I got a bunch of missed calls, and it's all these people. Like, and I'm now like just starting to read it. Like, hey, are you okay? One thing that I forgot, I had mentioned, I had like reposted suicidal thoughts onto Facebook, and I mentioned something. So I had actually given out a hint that I'm like, I'm at a breaking point here. And it was like almost like my last thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it was a, cry, it was a cry for help. It was a cry for help, 100%. I mean, especially after you're saying that, I mean, it relates back to you saying, you know, you felt as if you were there right. as support and then you felt no one was there for you. Considering you raised yourself. Right. So what happened was, is as I was reading the text, I get a bang on the door. 
I just woken up. I opened up the door and uh, it was uh, like three of my closest friends, but they don't hang out. Like they know each other, but they're not directly. It wasn't like the crew. It was like the crew, this, the crew, that crew, this. And they all showed up and I was like, holy shit. You know what I mean? And they're like, what's up, dude? Why aren't you answering your phone? I was like, I was just passed out. They're like, dude, people think that you're up to like no good. They think that like you think you're going to like end yourself and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not, not going to do that. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not like, I was, I'm sad, dude. Like, I, like, you know, and everything. And then like, I kind of like went into it and told them what was going on. And they were just like, you know, it was great, man. They were, they're amazing friends. And uh, they were just like, like, if you want to talk to it, you're like more than welcome to talk to us, like whatever it is. And we lit up a joint. We started smoking it. We smoked the joint fully and got done. And then another knock on the door happens and it's the fucking police. So somebody called the police on us. Oh, wow. And on me. And so they shut up. They're like, you guys got to leave. And then they're like, we hear that you are talking about like ending your life. You hear about like, you know, the, like what's going on? You know, like, is there anything in here? And I was like, I wasn't going to tell them about obviously the firearm. Right. So then I was like, yeah, there's some, there's bullets in that drop, but there's no gun. And they found the bullets. It was like fucking hollow tips. And then uh, I thought I thought that was the end of it. You know what I mean? I didn't know like there was this whole process. And like, all right, you're gonna come with us. I'm like, I don't want to leave. And they're like, no, you have to come with us. So it was they were putting me into an evaluation. So an ambulance shows up. They strap me to the fucking ambulance. And at that point, dude, I'm losing my fucking mind. I'm like bawling my fucking eyes out. Cause I'm just like embarrassed. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm embarrassed at this point. I'm like, how did I get to this point? And then like everybody else now knows what's fucking going down. Do you know what I mean? So then we go to, the, we get sent to the hospital. I get brought to the hospital I was born in and I'm sitting. It's uh, ironic. Yeah. I'm sitting in a stretcher and my whole family shows up, dude, except for my sister. She was uh, Nikki, I believe. I think, she, I don't think she was there. She was in New York. But my other sister and my uh, my dad and my mom showed up. And, like, it, it started getting to this point where, like, they showed up and then everybody's, like, arguing. And I'm, like, at that point, like, certain people are, like, are yelling at each other. There was some, like, obviously something for me. But then they started yelling at each other to the point where I remember being, like, you guys, can everybody just shut the fuck up? And then my phone rings, bedside. And it's my friend from Chicago. It's his mom. Dude, I haven't talked to this lady in years I I haven't even talked to him in years. You know what I mean? And she's calling me. She got the news and she's like screaming at me. She's like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? You fucking idiot. You know what I mean? And like, I loved it. Like that, that to me was like the realization of like, you are loved. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the, my friends coming through and and sitting down, like like, you are loved. Like even though I don't even know who the person was that called the fucking police. Do you know what I mean? Like, you were loved. And those things like kind of came to me and I had that epiphany that I was like, fuck man, like this is so stupid. I can't believe I would think like this. You know what I mean? I thought it was just like a very selfish fucking act. The one thing that was super fucked up that happened after that, because after that happens, like, you know, after like they, they did, they came in, they asked me a bunch of questions and normally like they'll put you depending on, they'll keep you for depending on how long. Um, and then they'll, you know, they mandate you to like, hey, you need to talk to a psychologist, blah, blah, all that other stuff. But I was like, listen, I just had a fucking hiccup. I'm good. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I'm not like that. I don't know what came over me. I was drinking, blah, blah, said all this shit. And they were like, okay, well, we'll keep you here for X amount of hours left. And then, you know, we'll come revisit you. If you're cool, you're good to go. So then that's what I did. What really was mind blowing. This is so fucking crazy. 
I go back to my grandmother's house where I'm staying. At this point, I'm like completely like, the word like catatonic. I'm just like kind of out there. After like a couple of days, I have this incredibly vivid dream. And it was so fucking crazy. It starts with me standing out on the lawn of my grandmother's house. And the cops start showing up. And I'm talking about like a dramatic amount. of It's a dream. You know what I mean? So it's like fucking 20 cops show up. And they're like, what's happening? What's happening? And in my head, in the dream, I'm like, oh, this is because of like what, ha- what had happened. Like this is, you know, they're coming to get me because of that. They bring me into the kitchen and then I'm surrounded by cops and I'm on my knees and I'm just like losing my fucking mind. Like what is happening? And then all of a sudden, like they all go quiet. This is so wild. They all go quiet. And then they like, it opens up like an alley and it's the doorway to the living room. And my grandmother is standing there and she walks up to me, dude. And she like puts her hand on my head and she's like smiling and I'm just bawling my eyes out. And she's like, everything's okay. And then like, I woke up from that, like a, like a jump fall. Like I was like, woke up and I was like, what is this? I don't know what to, what to make of it. You know what I mean? Cause I didn't really have this amazing relationship with my grandma. I have very loose relationships with almost everybody in my family. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So for that to happen, I don't know if that is because of, you know, when you just like keep thinking of shit. Yeah. I mean, regardless of why it happened, did you pull meaning from it? A sense of comfort. You did? Yeah. Like immediately like, or, dude, or what? No, like, I, well, I was, I was a little bit of shock of like, what the fuck? But then also I was like, I feel like a knot in my shoulders. You know what I mean? Like the pressure is gone. Kind okay. of. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, me personally, sometimes I get fixated on why something happened or is this real? I mean, like your case, like a dream, like blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, it's like, if it feels real enough, it's probably, it's real enough. And right. if you pulled something from it, especially something beneficial, I like right. to try to focus on the optimistic, then, you know, like you could, you could always obsess and potentially never find out. So did it mean something? But like, right. If it meant something, it meant something. No, no, a hundred percent. I understand that. Let me say this is that maybe I'm not looking for like, Hey, did it mean something more of like, was it something? I, I, you know what I mean? Like, was that something that happened or was this something that my brain through everything happening, you know what I mean? Like me being engulfed in the atmosphere of my grandmother's house. I haven't been there for years. You know what I mean? My grandmother passing. Yeah. It goes back to the guy in your window. You're betting down the track. It's like, but that's why it's, I feel like it's such a rabbit hole of what you believe slash is it? I don't know. Will we ever know? I don't know. But once again, if you're pulling meaning from it, then fuck. I want to know. Hey, I want to know something. What's your, what is your opinion on something like that? Which part? Well, all right. So based on the beginning of like, uh, say when I thought I felt something like a presence, like, uh, you know, like, um, what are they? Sleep paralysis. It's usually, it's usually like people say that it's caused by a presence, uh, lingering over you. Do you know what I mean? And or like holding you down or something like that. And then I've had that like my whole life. Do you know what I mean? It was so weird. I, I had, um, another crazy thing. My girlfriend, her, her father passed and she has his urns and he's up in the closet and he's in like the corner area of the closet. And when I was dating, like when I first started dating her, I got sleep paralysis and I felt it coming from that corner of the room. Okay. And I was like, something's like, I, I told her the next day, I was like, so, it wasn't bad. I didn't feel uh, attacked like I normally would. I just felt like there's something here. 
And then the next day I told her and she was like, dude, he's over there. She's like, open it up. And I was like, what? And the urn, like his urns were right there. I, I didn't like, know it. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I was like, that's so wild. Are you asking me a question regarding? Oh, so what I'm thinking, what I want yeah, what I wanted to say is like, do you think, I don't know. This is so weird. It could be like complex or Probably. it could be simple. What are your beliefs on that aspect? Do you, like based on like those things, do you think that there is something there or do you think that I am just like super fucked up in the head? That like that, gonna, that, that well, things hey, are I'm happening not, like over over and over and over again, periodically over years through traumatic experiences. That it's like a chemical balance. That something is, is, is or it's not maybe something from your, my unconscious. Well, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm not going to dismiss any of the possibilities because a we'll, we'll just never know. Right. But if you're asking me to answer what well, I maybe. believe, I think I I've heard and been told and heard different stories. I think some people are more sensitive to that than others. I've also been told that we can all tap into that, but just add them like some people do whatever reason are just more sensitive off the bat. Right. Perhaps you could be sensitive off the bat. I do believe there is some sort of connection with, I guess you want to say the other side. I, I've heard, I feel like I've heard too many stories and obviously you got to be careful as to which is bullshit and what's not. That's the right. challenge. Right. I, like I said, I'm weighing all possibilities. I think the mind is very powerful and it's hard to just sometimes 100%. decide. It, it, the mind can play tricks on you. So yeah. I see, I'm not saying any of these possibilities are absolute. I just think they're all possible. I don't know, but I believe in those things. Like yeah. I've, heard, I've heard too many stories, you know, from people I trust from people I know. And right. Oh, it's just like too, it's like too coincidental of things popping up. Like how would they know type shit? Right. 100%. I'm not saying yours is so much like, how would they know? Right. But like a coincidental aspect, like you felt something over there and I guess you didn't know the urn was there. Or you did. I don't think that I did. I think that I, like I think that she had told me the next. She had told me the next day that it was. Listen, you could be fucking crazy. I don't know. I could be. I think I'm crazy. It's possible. I think it's a mix. Yeah. It's whatever you want to believe. <laughs> I, I, do I think he does? No. I, I think I think there's something there. Like I said, I, I believe in that possibility. I, I, I've heard stories that are hard to knock as false. Yeah. So, me personally, if you're asking me, yeah, I believe in that shit. And it's just I, once again, I think at the end of the day, experiences, whether real or not real, if it feels real, it's. It could be it could be made real, and it's really just what you pull from it. So yeah, but it's it's easy to obsess on. Oh fuck, that really happened? Because obviously, if you find out that it wasn't real, it could dilute the meaning behind it. It's like oh, that was just like my mind fucking with me, right? But I don't know. Just just define it as you want, and I think uh, it seems as long as you define it in the positive, it seems like you did. So I don't know. We're, yeah, uh, it was weird. I decided I decided after all that that I was just gonna get the fuck out of. Massachusetts. And here you are. Are you good? I'm fucking I've the best I've ever been. Do you still think of I mean, do you bring back your childhood in regards to all these deaths? And do you have any interpretation of it now as a as we come to the end of all your encompassing trip? I think that like I love I think I love getting older because with that comes more clarity. And I think that like I've come to complete like content with knowing that like nothing I can change. It's already it's already embedded in my history. It'll never change the past. But what I really like, like what I really found interesting now is seeing it from a a perspective of not in the moment instead of really pushing like aggressively. Why like blindly? You know what I mean? Because I could just blindly just be like, why, 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 and not. And but now I have the patience and the time to like look in detail of my past. I have discovered a lot of things about that, you know, and th that has brought a lot of things to closure. 
Do you know what I mean? If that makes sense. Yeah, you came to peace with it. I guess, yeah, but I, but I think I I understand a lot of stuff. So like I look at why I was looking at myself like in that negative aspect of my entire life. What was going through the day to day, and why it was accumulating, and why I wasn't speaking up about it, and why people weren't asking me about it, and why it got to the point of where it was. Like not understanding like what the concept of really death was, and then experiencing it at a young age, and then how I reacted to that. Like I, I can sit sit there and look at those life lessons and go, okay, now I totally understand why those things happen and why I am the way I am now, why I react to those things the way I do now. I think that's just life. It's like watching a movie in the middle of the movie or at the first act. And it's like, why? Like this guy's doing this, but then at the end of the movie, you have time. The movie's over. Yeah, you're like, oh, I totally. You can look back at it. So I I think it just reminds you of another prior episode of especially suicidal things. Is how important it is to check in with people. I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not. full of enough experience or knowledge so like you know i can't speak on all suicides but right you know at the end of the day i think it's important to feel like a lot of people want to feel loved and want to feel important right? right and uh you know it goes a long way to express that it's so it's so hard because being on that side of it and still being actively like try like kind of like being expressive and you could see it on my face that i wasn't happy and people still not recognizing it Dude, you'll you never see it coming, man. Like I, I saw. Uh, well, you didn't see it coming with your buddy Benny. Hundred percent. I, I, I just recently there was a a, a person that uh, committed suicide like just recently in my life, and I had no fucking clue. Do you know what I mean? Like no clue. Like I talked to that guy, and he was, he was brilliant, and he was, he was extremely smart, very well educated, and he every experience I ever had with him was was pleasant. It was always nice. You know what I mean? He was just generally a very good person to me, my experience with him. And uh, uh, fuck, man, I was down and out and he, at one point and he gave me a fucking roof over my head. Do you know what I mean? And every interaction I had with him was like hugs, smiles, laughs, stuff like that. There was nothing I could see from a, uh, any perspective. But that's the thing, though. It's not, it's, it's usually never visible. You never see like, it. I feel like tormenting highs behind the door. Hundred percent, dude. It's and then, scary. like, the, it's it's almost like if there is any window, it is so small and so fast that it comes by that you you don't even see it. Yeah, they'll it it might be one of the last things that they say to you, or it might be something that they post, right? That you're like, oh, that's a little off. That doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? But you don't think anything of it because there's no signs of anything, and it's like that. It, it's that little cry, and then it's fucking. It's too late at that point. Yeah, but some people don't do at that at all. I mean, it makes even the, even it's easy to look back at it like you were just doing with your own life and uh, and see oh that that did seem like a sign. It's like it's, it almost seems as if uh, it doesn't seem real. Like, like to actively see a sign, I feel like is more challenging than it sounds. And and also you don't want to. I don't know. You, there's, I think there's maybe there's ways around. Just check in on people. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't know, but um, I've gotten into that habit a lot of just trying to be more pleasant. Do you know what I mean? Just trying to be more positive in my day-to-day is like from the get-go. Do you know what I mean? Because something, here's the thing too, is that even if like, not even, not even just asking people if they're okay, like just saying one thing can turn everything around. Do you know what I mean? Walking by somebody and like, I always try to put in my perspective that I have no idea what's going on in somebody else's life. And even in the midst of like maybe me being angry, you know what I mean? Or going through my own shit, I might say something in passing, you know, sporadic stuff like that. Like there has been time, pure example, bad a bad temper and road rage. I can't tell you how many times like I've rolled the window down and be like, "Hey, fuck you!" You know what I mean? Like, if like you'd be intimidating. But like I stop, 
I've stopped doing that and I've learned to just, instead of doing that, because it's like, dude, maybe this person's going through something, dude. And I also try to, to be more pleasant in interactions that I have with people when I do have them. I think we're all going through something. You know, so you go up and you walk by somebody and you're just like, hey, man, you know, I, I try to go. That's also the extrovert in me too. walk by or I'm at the cashier at like, you know, a BevMo or something like that. Picking up a bottle of wine. I'll see the cashier. But hey, man, nice hair. <laughs> you know what I mean? So just say something nice because nice like the ass, one thing man. small could turn around. Oh, yeah, dude. Well, uh, I hope next time I see you at a bar, you're not wearing headphones. That's <laughs> <Yeah>, fucking depressing. <laughs> I'm glad you got past that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you sharing that. I think, uh, you know, it's it's hard being vulnerable and just saying shit like that. It's pretty personal. So yeah. I appreciate, as I know you now, you know, I didn't, I didn't know you in those days. I don't think you would have liked me then. <laughs> I mean, no, probably not. No, I was, an, I was a fucking asshole. <laughs> well, I mean, I, then you can see if you were an asshole, I could see how people, why they probably took a step back. But, yeah. you know, I'm glad. Um, it was all, it was, it was projecting outward, but it was all. I'm glad you realized you're loved because, yeah. uh, you know, as the years that I've known you, I definitely feel the same way. So, oh, thanks, dude. I appreciate it. I love you. I'd too, hug dude. you if I could, but I'm, I'm, we're, you're over there and I'm over here. <laughs> yeah we'll shut it off but jeff i want to thank you for being on here um appreciate you sharing all that all right yeah 100 all right guys thank you for tuning in we got jeff over here i'm gonna tag you all that shit so i'm like cool you know you want to find this guy find him at the corner of the bar all right guys thank you so much (laughs) another episode of dead talks take care